0: The Lord has been dealing with me about increasing my what I asked for from Him. And because you can get stuck. You can get stuck very easily when God has blessed you at the level that you're on. And you can almost get afraid of, of greed. Let me play something to you about greed. Greed will never lead you deeper into the things of God. It'll lead you into more of your own strength. It'll lead you into more of your own capability. It'll burn you out trying to acquire more things or to be more whatever, to do more, have more. But spiritual growth will push you farther into a deeper relationship with the Lord so that you can experience more of his goodness. And sometimes when you're you're as blessed as I am, you can get comfortable not worrying about your needs and things of that nature. And I don't worry about any of that stuff. But the Lord will come to you every now and then and put pressure on you to ask for something that exceeds your comfort level. You ask for something that you don't feel like you should be asking for at this point. Or you ask for something that you don't really believe you have the faith for. Because he has to grow you. And that's how parents grow their children. Parents grow their children by giving them higher levels of responsibility. And along with those responsibilities come higher level of reward. And we can get egotistical In our responsibility. We love being spiritually responsible for things and not necessarily reaping a reward because we feel like that is more pious. That's more humble. Lord, just work me till I die. You ain't got to give me no more than my needs. But that's not how God thinks. God wants to give you everything you want. He just wants you to get it from him. He wants you to get it in a way that honors how good a father he is. He's not trying to deny you the things that you want. The devil will tell you that the thing you want is greed or the thing you want is out of place or out of order or out of whatever. God wants you to ask as big. The Bible says he can do above and beyond what you can ask or think. And most of us haven't even gone to the level of where we can ask or think. We're well below our, our own asking and thinking level. We haven't even gotten close to God. See, so you don't touch God till you get to that point. We're asking for stuff that we feel, something I used to do with my dad that used to really get under his skin. If I wanted a new, I don't know, if I wanted a new bike, I would ask him for a used bike. Matter of fact, the first new car I had I asked him for a used car, and I thought that was the right thing to do because I didn't want him to think I was taking him for granted. And he got upset because he said, son, you asking me, I know you don't really want that. I know what you want. I know what you really want, but when you come to me and ask below that, you're making it sound like I won't give you what you want, and it makes me look like a bad father. Because I know what you want. But you're not asking for what you want. You're asking for what you think I'll do for you. As if you know what I'll do for you. And it took me a long time to get over that. And I realized that sometimes I have that tendency. And the Holy Ghost and I had a conversation similar to that a little while ago. He said, you're asking for things you think I'll give you. What do you want? You got to be careful, because everybody's, everybody in here got something they want they haven't asked God for yet. And it's depriving God of an opportunity to develop you. Because you think you're developed enough to ask for what you're asking for. And you might be. But you're not developed enough to ask for what he'll give you. And the fastest way to develop you is to go on a journey of receiving. A journey of receiving will grow you up faster than anything else. Because when you have a goal, and the bigger the goal, the stronger you got to be, the more developed you got to be. So don't hold back on your ask. Just be prepared for the journey. He didn't, see, my dad didn't just give me what I asked for. He gave me the opportunity to receive what I asked for. I grew up, I developed, and I got what I asked for. So he got what he wanted, and I got what I wanted. That's how good fathers do. And there's no better father than God. So don't sit on your request. Just be prepared for the journey. That's all. I heard Pastor Pasadena was teaching on Sunday about planning, and that came back to me because it was reflecting a conversation we had been having. You know, you, you grow when you have a plan. You know there's something that you want that you don't even plan on having because you have not heard God give you the green light to ask for it. Well, this is God giving you the green light to ask for it. And then get a plan. And don't stop till you get it because it's not God saying no. It's you saying, I don't think God will say yes. And those are two different things. You don't know what God will say yes to. You need to ask him for something so spectacular you know you couldn't do it without him. Now you're on the right path. When you ask God for something so big, you can't get it without him. Now you're on the right path. You look in the Bible, all the great miracles were things that they couldn't do without God. That's how Jesus started his ministry with his disciples. Peter had been fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. Showed up. Jesus said, Let me use your boat. I got to preach. You know, God came to Peter with a need before Peter came to him with a need. That's a whole other lesson right there that I ain't got time to get into. This is just stuff that Lord and I have been talking about lately. And it's just coming back in my spirit ever since Sunday. Because Peter met one of Jesus's needs before Jesus met one of his. Jesus said, let me use your boat so I can preach from it as a platform. Because everybody was crowding him on the beach. He needed to get on a boat so he could talk to everybody from from a platform. And Peter offered his boat. Then Jesus said, now go out there and cast out your net. And when he did that, sank the boat with the fish, with how much fish it was. Broke his nets with so much fish, took more than one boat to catch all the fish. That's the level of receiving that Jesus started with with His disciples. We're, we're, we're selling God short, and we're calling it humility. It's not. It's fear. So God yell at me, I yell at y'all. So if you see me doing things that you have not seen me do before, just know that's why I'm doing it. Don't be offended. Don't be angry. Get on board. Now, go to Acts chapter 2. You know, that's our baseline scripture. We're going to always go back there. We've been on the return of the church has been our overall topic. I told you I got all year to teach this, so I can take my time. And we, were, we, were, we started out with repentance, and we talked about how repentance is, it manifests in a change of culture. We talked about culture, and I'm not going to recap all of that because I'll reteach it all. But that was part one. Part two, the second point of returning the church to the way it was, to the way it's supposed to be, deals with the most important member of the church. The Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to start talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. Now all of these 12 points that I talked about earlier come out of Acts chapter 2 and you'll see them reflected throughout the early church. Because I have no interest in preaching on topical things that are popular in our culture today. I want to say what the Holy Ghost has given me to say to the people of God. And when churches become too motivated by what will attract people's ears, you're putting the cart before the horse, as they used to say. You get a bunch of people listening to you, and then you don't say anything. See, Jesus would be led by the Holy Spirit to say what the Holy Ghost wanted people to hear and the people would come. And what we've done, we've done it backwards. How can we attract more people? Well, you can do a lot of things to attract people, but once you have them, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to say that's going to speak to their problem, speak to their issue, speak to their need? So, in this church, and in every church that's connected by the Holy Ghost. We strive to be on whatever the Holy Ghost is talking about. The stuff we're talking about, we're not the only ones talking about it. If you, if you follow other ministries that are connected by the Spirit, you hear the same, and it's not us ripping each other off. I'm hearing things from ministers on other parts of the world that line up directly in concept to what we're getting on Sunday and Wednesday. And we don't communicate with each other but the Holy Ghost knows what he wants to say. Mm -hmm. And not every church, not every guy on Instagram is hearing about the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Not every guy on Facebook is hearing about the Holy Ghost. They just know how to talk. And they say things that might be topically accurate. They might be socially uh, correct. But that's not what makes the gospel. Mm -hmm. I made this statement a long time ago. I'll make it again. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the words of God the Word of God. And a lot of times people are just parroting words. They're just repeating things they've heard before. Without the Holy Ghost, it's not the Word of God. And it's very easy because we've created a culture around manifestations of the Holy Ghost to where we've edited him out of it. You just gotta know how to act. You gotta run at the right time. You gotta jump at the right time. You gotta scream at the right time. You can use the right turn of phrase. You can cry a little bit. At just the right moment, somebody's going to start crying in the back. And we're going to call that a move of God. <laughs> great orators know how to sway a crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't really consider myself a great orator. But I am a man who can speak by the Holy Spirit. And that's all that matters. Now, I'm good with written words. I'm a much better writer than I am public speaker, I think. Some may disagree. But I, if you ever... Read anything I wrote, I'm an amazing writer. I'll pat myself on the back for that. That's not, that's not arrogance. I'm, when I'm good at something, I'll tell you, I'm good at it. I am. I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a better writer than I am a public speaker. That's just my personal opinion of me. But when I speak, it is by the Holy Spirit. Because I don't have enough, I'm not foolish enough to get up here and try it without it. So, in Acts chapter 2, you know, I talk real good about myself because nobody else might. (laughs) Humility is not thinking low of yourself. It's being honest about yourself. If you're good at something, don't lie. Yeah, I'm good at this. Don't be afraid to speak good about yourself. More people are afraid to talk good about themselves than anything I've ever seen. Because they're afraid of the backlash of their own confidence, which means either A, you're not really that confident, or two, you're a coward. I'm not good at everything, but the things I'm good at, I'm really good at. Confidence means you don't have to believe it. I believe it. Right? You don't have to amen it. I'll amen myself. But thank you for your amen. You're, you're the ones in my prayers. The rest of y'all on your own. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just messing. All of y'all are in my prayers. Verse 1, chapter 2 of Acts, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all of one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit capital S, so that's the Holy Spirit, gave them utterance. Now, that's that part we should know. That's our history, you know. Everybody knows who the first president of the U.S. was. I hope. I don't know. <laughs> I say everybody because I went to school and school taught us that kind of stuff, but nowadays, well, it's a different generation. But there are certain things. What does the First Amendment of the Constitution refer to? Anybody want to take a guess what the First Amendment of the Constitution is about? Let's see what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's the first one. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna stay here and wait all day. You should. You should. You should. This basic history, ladies and gentlemen. What's the 13th Amendment about? <laughs> now, everybody in this room is okay. <laughs> I just figured I'd mess with you a little bit. Well, you should know your history. If you don't know your, your world history, you should know your church history. This is the beginning of our whole church. This is the beginning of all that we do. So you should know Acts chapter 2 like the back of your hand. You should know everything that happened in that. Jump down to verse 13. Now, they've been pr- they are praying in, the, in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And others mocking them said, these men are full of new wine. If you're taking notes, write this part down. When you receive the Holy Spirit... You must be prepared to be perceived as crazy or out of the ordinary. No one who receives the Holy Spirit can be a coward. You must be prepared to be perceived as crazy or out of the ordinary. You cannot be a coward when you receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Peter makes mention, he says, no, we're not drunk. It's too early in the day. I like that part. (laughs) Because they were accusing them of being drunkards, not just they had a little too much to party. This is the wrong time. It's too early in the day for y'all to be this drunk, y'all. That's what they're trying to say say about them. As if these are people with poor morals or poor standards. But it was ridicule. The Bible says they were mocking them. When When you receive the Holy Spirit, you must be prepared for mockery. Now, now I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute, and then I might stay on the night, and I might hop off of it. Modern church is afraid of mockery. Mm-hmm. You can turn me down in the house just a little bit. Thank you. Modern church is afraid of mockery. That's mm-hmm. right. It'll bend. It'll twist. It'll remarket itself to avoid controversy, to avoid scandal. It won't say the things as clearly, as accurately, and as that are necessary because it's afraid of mockery. When I look at what a church should look like, I always go back to Acts chapter two because you could paint it in different colors. You can change the style of music. You You can turn it up just a little bit more in the house than that. I don't need that much of it, thank you. I'm like that sometimes I apologize you can change the style of look you can change the style of music you can change the type of clothes you wear you can change the way you do your hair all that stuff God's not interested he has a standard don't come in the church naked but styles change but Acts chapter 2 is not contained in any particular style of worship So this is Holy Ghost led. So whether you wear jeans in church or you wear a suit and tie, you can be led by the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. However, modern church is more focused on culture than the spirit of God because culture keeps you safe from mockery. Mm -hmm. And when you fear mockery, you're going to let the culture you are trying to win dictate to you what you can talk to them about. So don't talk to me about homosexuality. Don't talk to me about transgenderism. Don't tell me what the, what the Bible says about those things, because we, we, we already know what we want to believe about that stuff. Don't talk to me about divorce. You know, divorce used to be a dirty word in the church. Now, I will grant you that there was some extremist who took the idea that you never get divorced to an unspiritual extreme. And the devil will use extremists to paint the gospel in a bad light so that anything that sounds anything like that, suddenly you you burn it all down. But now the divorce rate in the church is just as bad as the one in the world. I take that back. There's actually no divorce in the church. The divorce rate in the religion of Christianity is just as bad as the world. There's never been a divorce in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, if your marriage is kingdom of God established, it's not divorcing anytime soon. But it's just not a lot of marriages in the kingdom of God. But all the kingdom of God marriages don't end in divorce. Religious Christianity ones do. But there used to be a time where we fought hard against those kinds of things because we believed that we were the body of Christ and we were supposed to set a standard for the world. We were supposed to be setting a standard that the world would look to us no matter what they were doing through. See, the only way you can really reveal when something is wrong is that you compare it to something that's going right. Yeah. And if I don't ever see any group of people getting it right all the time, mm-hmm. then the fact that you pray to your God or you worship your Jesus don't matter to me because you're just as sick as I am. You're just as broke as I am. Your marriage just as jacked up as mine. And what we did was we said, yeah, we're all broken. No, we're not. Mm -hmm. I am not broken. I was, but then he fixed me. Now I'm not broken. If you you put your car in the shop, it's broken. If it comes out and it's still broken, you went to the wrong shop. Brokenness should not be an identity. Mm -hmm. It should be a state that you're temporarily in. Until you get fixed. Now, does that mean when you get fixed that you have no more challenges? Of course not. As long as you're in this flesh, you're going to be challenged by something to try to break you. But when you were made righteous. And everybody in here that's born again was made righteous. From that point on, you are protecting your position as righteous. You are not trying to become righteous. You are not trying to get fixed in an area. You are fixed in that area and you're kicking the devil out so he can't break you again. And you say, yeah, but my money, I don't have a million dollars in my bank account. Why not? Why don't you? I do. You don't? I do. Somebody going to get it. Your bank account is the product of what you perceive it to be. And I'm not talking new age, you know, you say it enough times and it manifests. No. I'm talking about when your identity changes, mm-hmm. yeah. you act based on your current identity, not your old one. That's right. Let me get racial for a second. When they freed the slaves, most of the slaves saw themselves as slaves. But some of the slaves saw themselves as free people and they got rich exactly. right. Amen. And, they, they, and they went into Congress That's and they started businesses right. and they built fortunes right out of slavery. Born slaves, died, politicians, lawyers, doctors, scientists, millionaires. So what if you learn how to read at 30? Because the master wouldn't let you read before. You learn how to read at 30 and spend the rest of your life using it because I'm free now. But if you're still a slave, you're going to die a slave with no whip on. And no chains on your wrist. Some people accepted their new identity. Some people didn't. Didn't matter where you were born. Didn't matter what color you were born. Didn't matter how you was born. It's all about your acceptance of your identity. I re- I'm not broken. I won't go to a church that will tell me how broken I am. I won't sing a song that will tell me how broken I am. I don't care how pretty the lyrics are. If it doesn't line up with my identity, I'm not going to sing a song about how I'm a slave. You wouldn't sing a song about how you're a slave. Why you sing a song about how you're broken? Because it's popular, because it's culturally relevant. It's not culturally relevant, not relevant to this culture. It's relevant to a culture that needs to bring your standard down before they'll come into your church. Now, that might be a little harsh but it's true. Now, let me get on the flip side of that. Because some of us are full of ourselves and not hearing the Holy Spirit. Mm, come on now. You are the righteousness of God, so when I go to the store, they go, I ain't got to pay full price, even though I got it. They're going to give it to me for half off just because of who I am. No, they're not. It don't work like that. Stop being cheap and calling it favor. Well, I go back when they lower the price. <laughs> pay for the thing. Stop being cheap and calling it favor. Now, there are times when you walk. Some people do walk in favor. And they do get favor. The Holy Ghost gives you favor. Where you go in and it's $100, but you get it for $60. That happens. And it's okay to expect that. You should expect that. But you can expect the goodness of God everywhere you go. But you let God manifest his goodness in every situation the way he chooses. You don't go in and say, now, look, God, I want that for half off or I'm not going to buy it because he might give you more money so you can afford it at full price. Maybe that business owner needs that that sale that day yes, that's right. and you could be the blessing on that business. But you run in and your hold your thou suit and decide I'm not going to be a blessing to this business. They got to give me for half and go out of business. I don't care because it's favor. And some of us are spiritually stuck up. I ain't read but one scripture yet. I'm still on this. Some of us won't talk to people of a certain political or social leaning because we feel that we're too spiritually above them because we know the truth. And you'll isolate yourself from opportunity to be the god to be the gospel or to be the kingdom in a, in a situation because I ain't getting into it with them because of who they voted for. You ain't got to argue with them about politics. Right. Right. Now, they, they might not be able to raise your kids. You know, there's balance to all of this stuff. But you can't isolate yourself from those people and call it sanctification. No, you're just scared or you're stuck up. Well, I don't, I don't go there because, you know, that's a homosexual that that works over there and I don't want to give them my business. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. You make the best, whatever I'm shopping for, you're going to get my business. Because if I might be the only kingdom of God that you get around. Now I'm not looking for a homosexual to support because I don't support homosexuality. That might not be the clip for YouTube, Uh, Jalen. That might not be the clip. (laughs) Might have just scroll past that one, you know. Because it's a sin, plain and simple. Now, if you don't worship my God, you don't care whether he calls it a sin or not, do you? At some point you will, but it'll be too late. But if you care what God thinks about you, and the only way you care about what I think about you is if you care about what God thinks about you, because I'm only going to think what God thinks about you and God loves you and Jesus died for you. Jesus went to a cross for you, just like he did for me. You just haven't received the Holy Spirit. And I have. You are not a homosexual because that doesn't exist. You are a person with a devil. Ooh, I sound like Pastor Daniel when I say it. You are a person with a devil that has influenced you into a lifestyle of sin that you can be freed from. You can be free from it and you might not think you need to be free from it. And that's all right. You will know better one day. I hope it's before that day. But I'm not going to treat you wrong. I'm not going to disrespect you. I'm not going to be cruel or unreasonable to you. And I'm not going to deny you my patronage because I might just be the only kingdom of God you see right. before you see the kingdom. Right. That was for somebody I don't know who. We mis- we mis- we're misrepresenting God because we're not receiving the Holy Ghost. Amen. Go to verse 37, Acts chapter 2. See, when we come in here, we know everybody in here. We can kind of gauge by engagement who is on our team. And it's nice to be around people that believe like you do. It's comforting. It's very comforting to come into a house of God and know that everybody in here believes like you. It's so comforting. You can be afraid to leave it. Mm-hmm. But the work is out there. Yes, it is. The work is out there. The souls that are going to hell aren't in this room. They're out there. And if you're skirting around them because you got your Holy Ghost high, your Holy Ghost in parentheses, quotation marks, that's not parentheses. This is parentheses, quotation marks. If you, you, you got your Holy Ghost high on you. And you don't want to rub that off. So you you skirt around the sinners. You skirt around the undesirables. You skirt around the people. You're telling the Holy Ghost, no, 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 no. They got to go to hell because that's where they go. I'm, a, I'm already good. And what is, what is the, Holy Post, the Holy Ghost supposed to do with that? What is he supposed to do with that? He can't use you. But then when you see somebody else ministering to those people, you want to hop on board like he was down. Like God don't know? Okay, let me balance that with this point. And then we'll go on to verse 37. When you're led by the Holy Ghost, you go where he takes you. Now, some of us want the Holy Ghost to be a navigator. Some of us are willing to let him be a driver. What's the difference between the Holy Ghost driving and the Holy Ghost navigating? See, me and my wife go out The day after we got married, we went on a road trip. Best way to get to know your spouse real real fast, be in a car with them for five hours. You're gonna learn everything about them in five hours. You just got married, very next day, we hop on the road for five hours, going on our honeymoon. And I'm driving, because I like to drive. When we go out anywhere, I like driving, I prefer to drive. She's navigating, she got one job, follow the blue line, make sure we don't get lost. We got lost a couple times, that's all right. We came home. I still loved her. But see, when she's navigating, she can tell me, turn's coming up, go this way, go that way. But I'm still in control. I can decide or not decide. Uh She's giving good directions. She's got the GPS. She can see the map. But it's on me. Most of us have a navigator relationship with the Holy Ghost, most of the time. But every so often, you get a crazy person. Every so often you get one of these people with a driver relationship where they say, you know what, Holy Ghost, whatever, whenever, however you want to do it. You take the wheel and drive this bad boy. Those are the people that look crazy. Those are them people that you hear about. That's where the revival starts. Because every so often you got to pull over, get out, say, Holy Ghost, just drive this thing. Wherever you want to go, however you want to get there. I don't. My car's not too shiny to go off road. My car's not too new. Put a thousand miles on it. I don't care. Oh, when you get there, that's where the miracles start happening. That's where the the real life changing work starts to happen. See, if you spend too much time trying to get God to fix your stuff, He's gonna just be a navigator because you want to go, you set a destination you want him to tell you how to get there. Mm. And that's not necessarily bad when we're talking about him working on you. But one day, he's going to want to drive you somewhere else. That's right. yeah. And most of us never grow to the point of becoming a passenger with him driving. Mm. We want to keep driving because, okay, Lord, what's the fastest route to the store? I got to pick my dry cleaning up now. Now let's go to the store. Now I want to go to the movies. Now I want to do what I want to do. And I want you to take me the safest and fastest route. So GPS me, Holy Ghost, from one one destination to the other. Okay, my kids are crazy. Fix my kids. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now my body's sick. Fix my body. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now I want some more money. Fix that for me. Thank you, Lord. Take me one destination to the other. And he said, you know, it's a whole neighborhood over there where the kids are shooting each other. I'd love to go over there and do something. You got a nice car. We can drive over there and do it. No. Because I got an appointment at five now. Well, no, you send somebody else. There's somebody over there that's from that neighborhood. You ain't got it from that neighborhood. I'm, I'm the one that's doing the work. Let me use your car. Nah, Lord. Just navigate me back home. And that's most of us. Afraid for him to drive. Because you know that when the Holy Ghost drives, you're more likely gonna look a little goofy. <laughs> and you're afraid of embarrassment. That fear of mockery. Obviously, oh, but see, these people, when they received the Holy Ghost, the first thing that happened was people started making fun of them. They looked drunk and crazy. And the Holy Ghost didn't say, Okay, y'all tone it down now. Because we might lose those people because they're making fun of you. We want to win them too. That's not what he said. They got louder. Peter said, look, we're not drunk. Let me preach the gospel to you. He said, and then what was, what was Peter's sermon? I'm not going to read that part because I'll be here all night. Peter's sermon was literally this. Hey, that Jesus guy y'all crucified a couple months ago? Yeah, that guy was God. So, no, we're not drunk, but that guy that y'all killed, he actually resurrected from the dead. He came back, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit. And that's what you're hearing now. That sounds like a crazy guy. In that time, this is pre-Christianity, y'all. This is a group of people babbling in a tongue and then talking about a guy that that everybody saw get killed two months ago saying he's alive and he's on the right hand of the father. Mm -hmm. They didn't sound less crazy after they said that. We all go amen and clap when we read that part because we know the truth. But those people said, yeah, they are crazy. They definitely drunk." That's the risk. When you receive the Holy Ghost, that becomes a non-issue for you. You want to preach the gospel. But you're afraid to look a little crazy because they might fire you. If they don't fire you, they might make it hard for you on your job. They might say something about you behind your back. You might not get that promotion. You know, Lord's working on me too. Because where he wants to take this church You got to be crazy. Yes, you do. Good, crazy. You know, you can be good, crazy. You got to be willing to plant your feet and say, Come what may, I'm preaching the gospel. Because the world is getting crazier and they don't care. They don't care how we think of them. Verse 37, Acts chapter 2. When they heard this, Three thousand of them heard it. They were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is the question the world is asking. What shall we do? They don't have answers. They just have feelings and ideas. And Peter said unto them, repent. We talked about that and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't say in the name of God. He named the man they crucified. He said, You got to be baptized in his name. We're not going to dumb down the Savior. Amen. That's right. He said, You have to be willing to name the name of Jesus. Not God, not some divine spirit that's in the wind. Jesus. That human man that you hung on that cross. He said, If you do that, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Ghost is a gift that Jesus gave those who are not ashamed of his name. The criteria to receive the Holy Ghost is I have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. If you're taking those, write this down. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promise to man. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promise to man that we would be reconciled back to God and returned to our rightful place of authority in the earth. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promise to man that we would be reconciled back to God and returned to our rightful place of authority in the earth. Go to Ephesians chapter one. Do this very quickly because I could feel it in my spirit. I mess with Pastor because she got the iPad. Sometimes it cooperates, sometimes it don't. But paper, as long as you don't set it on fire, it'll, well, you guess you set an iPad on fire, it'll start working too. But paper, as long as you don't set it on fire, it'll work forever. Ephesians chapter one. Now I really should start from verse one, but it's long. I don't have time to go through the whole thing, so I'm gonna skip around a little bit. Verse. Seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So, this was the decision he made in himself. He didn't ask you that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in whom. Also, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated, meaning before we were born, before we were even in the earth, we had a destiny according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. The right way to read that is we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That would be the modern English way of wording that in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom after you believed it, you were sealed with that Holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, earnest meaning down payment or guarantee. You ever bought a house, you put down an earnest deposit. That was you putting a little money down, maybe a thousand dollars or something to tell the bank. We mean to buy this house. If everything works out, we go, we're putting some skin in the game so we don't back out, right? They call that our earnest. That's where they get, the, this, this is where that comes from. It's the idea that I am sealing this covenant with something tangible, something of high value to me with the full redemption to come until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What, he's, what the Apostle Paul is saying in this book is the Holy Spirit was a gift given to us as a seal until the full redemption. The full redemption is us seated on the right hand of the Father. Put this the right way, because we are already seated on the right hand of the Father. But the completion of the work of the church in the earth. Because see, after the rapture, we're going to come back here and rule and reign in glory mm-hmm. with Christ because this is our planet. Mm-hmm. But until then, we have the Holy Spirit who connects us to our authority, which we already have, so that we can prepare the earth for the return of Christ because this is his planet too. Mm-hmm. So, ain't none of us staying in heaven. Because heaven won't make for us. That's, that's his daddy house. Jesus is staying with his daddy until his house is ready. And we're the ones supposed to make his house ready. And it's not all supposed to be post-rapture. It's supposed to be pre-rapture. The governments should already be under our control. And the marketplace should already be under our control. And the medicine market should already be under our control. Because he gave us the same authority that he walked in But where there was only one of him in the earth, there's millions of us. We're just slacking on our responsibility. What we're trying to do is hang on until the rapture takes place so Jesus can come back and do all that. Now I want you to imagine you design a house and you hire a builder to build it. And they hire a whole construction crew to build your house for you. And a month goes by and you ride back. Nothing's down. Nothing's been built. You come back two months later, nothing's been built, three months, and you ask the guy, what you waiting on? Oh, we thought you were gonna come back and put the walls up for us. We thought you was gonna come back and, and pour a foundation. Well, what I got you for? I gave you the money, I gave you the tools, I gave you the material to build my house so that I could come back and live in my house. And what have you done with all the stuff I've given you? Remember the parable of the talents? This, what are you doing with all the stuff I gave you? I gave you the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't have any other advantages in the earth besides the Holy Spirit. But so you can't put that on him being God. He had the same Holy Spirit. He sent the exact same Holy Spirit. He said, everything I use in the earth to control the winds and the waves, to, have, to handle all financial consideration, to handle all health consideration, to handle every relationship consideration, I send it all back to you. If you got problems, is some part of the Holy Spirit you haven't received yet. Mm-hmm. And that's the big question. Mm-hmm. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you remember he's a gift. You didn't work, you didn't earn him. You receive him. But once you receive him, you got to learn to live with him and to live like him. Your house should be a haven for the Holy Ghost. That's, right. that's next week's lesson. I ain't going to try to break into that too early. That's the fun one, because my home is a haven for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can do whatever he wants in my house. You shouldn't marry somebody, for those of you that aren't married. Don't marry anybody. Make it difficult for the Holy Ghost to move in your house. Because they might like you, but not like your Holy Ghost. And that's a hard, hard way to live. You trying to flow with the spirit and they not interested or they put up resistance. If my wife want to pray in tongues for an hour every day in the kitchen, I'm praying in tongues with her or I'm going to go somewhere else till she does. I'm not going to get in her way. And vice versa. You can break out in prayer anytime I want. It's my house. I pay the bills. I don't pay the bills. The Lord pays the bills. He just gives me the money to make sure, you know, they get paid. That's the right way, men. If you're covering over your house, you're not the provider. You're the husband. I don't know what time I got because I didn't bring my phone up with me. Yeah. But I gotta them. got a watch on. I got, Patrick in says I got three minutes. <laughs> see, see, see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right, I don't want to jump too much farther anyway because next week we're going to talk about building a home for the Holy Ghost, both in you and in your home. Because I honestly and truly believe, in my last three minutes, I honestly and truly believe that we have failed to do this more than we realize. And what we look for are intermittent manifestations of the Holy Ghost from time to time. But we don't live in a Holy Ghost environment. But if you've ever lived in a Holy Ghost environment, there's a difference living in a Holy Ghost environment than, well, than not. I'll just put it like that, to use the least amount of words. Because... Some of us think the Holy Ghost is a tyrant. I'm going to just put it like that. Some of us are afraid to give him free reign because we think he's going to make us do stuff we don't want to do. And we're afraid and we might not voice it that way. But, you know, if you turn the Holy Ghost loose, you don't know what he might ask you to do. And because of some stuff you don't want to do, you try to put him on a leash. You give him time, but you don't give him free reign. And we got to come to grips with that, because we've all been guilty of that, yeah. of giving them time, but not really giving them free reign. Right. Because you, you don't want to make you look bad, or you're afraid he's going to ask you to stop doing something you like. Mm, come on now. Oh, but what would happen if you just gave him free reign for a little Amen. while? Oh, sure. You might find out that you like him. Yes, right. And the stuff that makes you uncomfortable, you'll learn to love until you can't live without it. And once you've gotten to that point, you're never really satisfied for long periods of time without him. I walk in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction, a slight degree of dissatisfaction. Because anytime I'm not in the presence of God, I want to be in the presence of God. Amen. And I do other things. I enjoy other other things. God gives us those things to enjoy as well. You, you're not going to spend 24 hours a day praying all day because you got a family. Mm-hmm. you got stuff you like to do. And God wants you to do that. You enjoy those things way more after having spent time with God, mm-hmm. but there's just a little, I don't know if I can explain it. It's like a little bit, like being a little hungry all the time. Mm-hmm. You just, you just know, man, I, let me just get 10 minutes with the Lord real quick. And then I'll come back and finish doing what I was doing. It's just always, you're never a fool. You always want enough. You always want a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And when you get to that point, you never want to leave that. I'm, I'm I'm going to make, by the grace of God, a concerted effort to bring us all to that point because then we'll see change in our lives. Amen. 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 Amen? Amen. I'm going on because I just feel it coming upon me. The Holy Ghost is one of my favorite stuff just to teach about because he's my friend. And I can talk about him all day. And it's just it's too much. I'm having a hard time organizing it in a way that's pleasant. But because I could do the whole thing in tongues a whole lot easier. But he is my friend. I talk to him all the time, all day, every day. day It's not just a religious religious exercise. I just love him. And I can talk like my wife. If I start talking about it, I'm just going to ramble. And so when I preach by the Holy Ghost, I have to be careful not to ramble because it's not hard. And normally I would take three hours in the morning to preach all this out. And if I could just put a camera on me and do that, I wanted to be here on Wednesday nights. <laughs> Try to figure out to truncate all that down to 45 minutes. It's difficult because he's my friend. But anyway, Father, I thank you.